MSW Media. Welcome to Teacher Quit Talk. I'm Miss Redacted. And I'm Mrs. Frazzled. Every week we explore the teacher exodus to find out what, if anything, could get these educators back in the classroom. We've all had our moments where we thought, what the hell am I doing here? From burnout to bureaucracy to soul-sucking stressors and creative dead ends. From recognizing when it was time to go to navigating feelings of guilt and regret afterwards, we're here to cut out the gaslighting and get real about what it means to leave teaching. We've got insights from former teachers from all over the country who have seen it all. So get ready to be disturbed. Join us on Teacher Quit talk to laugh through the pain of the U.S. education system. We'll see you there. The rule of law is not just some lawyer's turn of phrase. It is the very foundation of our democracy. The essence of the rule of law is that like cases are treated alike. That there not be one rule for Democrats and another for Republicans, one rule for the powerful, another for the powerless, one rule for the rich and another for the poor, or different rules depending upon one's race or ethnicity. To serve as Attorney General at this critical time is a calling I am honored and eager to answer. So yeah, now it's clean up on aisle 45 time. And for a long while yet, it is going to be clean up on aisle 45. Hello and welcome to episode 108 of Clean Up on Aisle 45. I'm your host, Allison Gill, also known as AG or at Muller She Wrote on Twitter. It is Wednesday, February 15th, 2023. Happy belated Valentine's Day. I love you. Uh, I hope you got some chocolate and some flowers and some hearts and heart-shaped things. Uh, I, I, I like Valentine's Day. I'm one of those. So, you know, sue me. Um, Oh, today, by the way, I'm very excited. We are going to be going over a court filing, an order from Judge McBurney about the hearing about the special purpose grand jury. Remember, they did the whole report. And uh, my previous host and I had a little bit of a disagreement. He thought that the report would come out in full because the law says that it shall. And I said, I don't know. I think that uh, Fonnie Willis doesn't want it to be put out. And uh, Fonnie Willis came out and said in the hearing um, three weeks ago now, it's been three weeks, three weeks in a day. Uh, it was January 24th was that hearing. Fonnie Willis said, don't release this report. It's going to mess up my shit. It's going to, you know, we're going <laughs> to, we're going to mess up. Like I, I'm coming with multiple indictments. There's going to be multiple trials. I don't want this to be in the, you know, tried in the media. That is something that the Supreme court has decided as to why we keep these things uh secret. And what's really cool uh, is that I, I was right about the reasoning too. I was, I was kind of trying to guess why they wouldn't do these things. And we sort of knew, I mean, we all sort of knew, but I brought up a couple of, um, examples, like with the Mueller investigation, that turned out to be true. It turned out to be, it's in here in the writings. We're going to go over this uh, pretty much line by line, and I'm going to tell you about that. But first, I want to thank our new patrons. Some of them are returning patrons, and I appreciate you coming back. Uh, I'm not, this for, this show is free. Nobody's going to get, uh, no patrons are going to get uh, charged for this episode. This is free. It's also free to the public. Hello, public. Um, and starting next week, I will be joined by our new Clean Up on Aisle 45 co-host, Peter Strzok. He will be joining me uh, and joining me every week uh, and for as long as it takes. 
uh, to get out this cleanup on aisle 45 news that we talk about every week. We're going to be focused on pretty much everything that Jack Smith's not focused on, right? Manhattan DA looking into Bannon, Manhattan DA possibly looking into Trump and the hush money payments and maybe the overvaluation of assets or undervaluation, depending on what he was trying to get done. We're going to be looking at Fulton County District Attorney, which has been a long running uh, topic on on cleanup on aisle 45. And, uh, you know, we're going to be talking about this weaponization committee. I call it the WTF committee uh, because it's weaponization of the federal government, WTF government. Uh, and, uh, you know, how ridiculous that is um, without bringing too much, uh, you know, undue attention, unearned attention to people like Jim Jordan. But, you know, to talk about what the Democrats are asking in these hearings, because I think that they they bring up some really great points. So we'll be talking about that investigation as well, because personally, I think the weaponization of the DOJ investigation should be looking at Durham and Barr. And so we'll be talking about that because the Senate is going to be the Senate Judiciary Committee is going to be investigating that, too. And I look forward to those hearings. We'll discuss them here as well. All right. So let's turn to the well, first of all, I wanted to thank new I wow I just got off on a tangent I wanted to thank new patrons and uh I have a list here and there's quite a few and these are new and returning patrons so I'm going to split these up some at the beginning of the show some at the end of the show uh, but we always shout out our new patrons you can you can make your name whatever you want kind of like a pub trivia game and so I would like to welcome Catherine Hall, John Saunders, Lynn Robinson, Rebecca Bickfazy, Melvin Gramke, Mark Hogue, Dan Roski, Kim Pollard, Lyle Begabing, uh, Almost Always Joe, Heidi Christofferson, Karen Shields, Cassie Rogers, Jane Trancho, Nancy Ray, Andre Magnini, Michael, John Barker, Joyce Alessi, Literal E, Mama K, Travelin Texan, TXN, Robert O'Ray, Jaska Jarvaletto, I think I'm saying that right, um, ZJBXWBMN, uh, which, uh, as we know, strong bad on Homestar Runner would say Fahoguga gods. Uh, Ray Ray and wishing people didn't suck. Yes, I wish people didn't suck as well. Thank you for coming back or for joining as patrons. We really appreciate you. Um, and once Pete comes on, we'll start putting out those bonus episodes again. I'll probably do one this weekend anyway, because I think between now and the end of this week, we might actually, we will actually get an update on what's going on uh, with this particular order that we are about to go over. Uh, uh, so let's kick it off. Let's talk about this order regarding special purpose grand jury's final report. And there's a little bit of background here, which is great. Um, Judge McBurney says on January 20th, 2022, my birthday, DA of Fulton County petitioned the chief judge of the Superior Court of Fulton County to convene a special purpose grand jury. They voted. They convened the grand jury. The chief judge, having received a majority of the 20 judges assent, issued an order authorizing convening the grand jury on May 2022. Five months later, the special purpose grand jury was selected and sworn in. In June 2022, it began receiving evidence and investigating the possibility of criminal interference in the 2020 election. Special purpose grand jury, after hearing months of testimony from dozens of witnesses, submitted its final report to me, Judge McBurney, uh, December 2022, pursuant to OCGA sections 1512101A. In issuing its final report, Special Purpose Grand Jury also recommended that the report be published. OCGA section 152080. Upon reviewing the report, 
the undersigned, me, subsequently recommended to the Honorable Chief Judge Ural Glanville that the special purpose grand jury be dissolved. They voted. They took a vote. They dissolved it. Um, the order was entered on January 9th, 2023. On January 17th, 2023, I convened a hearing on the question of whether the special purpose grand jury's final report should be made public. The DA presented argument, as did counsel for a broad collection of media interests. Those are the media outlets that were there. They wanted the whole report. Having considered those arguments and relevant statutory case law and for the reasons set forth below, I conclude that much of much of the final report should not be disclosed until such a time as D.A. Fonnie Willis completes her investigation, although two parts may now be published consistent with protecting the due process rights of all involved. The due process rights of all involved. And this is that important. Thing. Because if you remember, going back to the Mueller report, Mueller came out and said, hey, there's an OLC memo says I can't I can't indict a sitting president. And because I'm Mueller, I'm going to follow that OLC memo. We all disagreed with that. We thought he should fight that. But he did not. So he couldn't indict. He, he concluded he couldn't indict Donald for obstruction of justice. Right. Those 10 or so obstruction of justice charges, I believe four or five of them rose to the level of meeting all three criteria to to go after, to prosecute obstruction of justice. But he said, look, I can't indict him. And so I also can't say that I think he obstructed justice because that would violate his due process rights. And the way that he explained this, now, of course, this left a big old tunnel for Barr to park a disinformation bus in, which sucks. But Mueller said, hey, look, I can't even say he obstructed. If he was innocent, I would say that, but I can't say that. I can also not say that he obstructed justice. And the reason is, is because a, a, a person has a right to face their accuser in, in court. And if I can't indict him, that means he doesn't have a, he can't face his accuser. I'm stripping him of his right to face his accuser. Me, if I say that he obstructed justice, I can't do that. So now listen to what McBurney writes. As a threshold matter, the court rejects the media intervener's contention that the special purpose grand jury's final report is somehow a court record and thus subject to the public's general right of access to such things. The media intervener's literalist argument that the final report is a court record because, one, the court convened the special purpose grand jury, and two, the final report was delivered to the court. That argument is unpersuasive. That doesn't make it a court document. The final report, as the district attorney argued, was ultimately destined for her, not the court. It will inform her investigative decision-making process, not the courts. She requested it. She petitioned the chief judge to convene a special purpose grand jury for it, and she and her staff worked with that special purpose grand jury for months in an effort to provide the grand jury with sufficient evidence to generate the report for her. Moreover, the only physical copy of the report is in her possession, not the court's. It sits in no docket or official court or clerk file. That the report, per statutory process, incidentally passed through the court's hands does not make it an official court record of the court any more than a wiretap application or a search warrant affidavit. All three documents, report, application, and affidavit, are parts of criminal investigative processes, not court proceedings. So when the media got up and said, hey, per law, this is a court document, we should get it, the judge is saying it's not a court document. Just because it passed through the court doesn't make it a court document. It's a criminal investigative process document, not a court proceeding. There's also the matter, the judge continues, of the special purpose grand jury's recommendation 
made pursu- pursuant to 151280. That's the law that says they the court shall publish if if the grand jury makes a recommendation to do so. The statutory language is somewhat misleading. This is fascinating. A 151280 recommendation is more than a mere suggestion or request. If a grand jury recommends publication, quote, the judge shall order the publication as recommended. 151280, that's what he's citing there. Indeed, in general, the only screening function of the supervising judge when faced with this recommendation to publish is to ensure that those portions, if any, that are the product of ultra-virus investigation by the grand jury are redacted. And then he cites case law. In other words, if the grand jury exceeded the scope of its authority in investigating, that unauthorized part of the grand jury's presentment must be removed before publication. Now, he goes on to say, having reviewed the final report, uh, I conclude that the special purpose grand jury did not exceed the scope of its prescribed mission. Indeed, it provided the district attorney with exactly what she requested, a roster of who should or who should not be indicted, and for what, in relation to the conduct and aftermath of the 2020 election in Georgia. Thus, facially, the final report should be published in toto pursuant to 151280. as with many things in the law, it's not that simple. The special purpose grand jury investigation was appropriately largely controlled by the DA. She and her team decided who would be subpoenaed, when they would appear, what questions would be asked, and what aspects of the general election would be explored. The grand jurors were, of course, able to question the witnesses as well, but the process was essentially an investigative tool designed to enable the DA to gather more information about what actually happened in the days following the general election in Fulton County and elsewhere so that she could make a more informed decision whether Georgia law was violated and whether anyone should be charged. It was, again, entirely appropriately a one-sided exploration. There were no lawyers advocating for any targets of the investigation. Potential future defendants were not able to present evidence outside the scope of what the DA asked them. They could not call their own witnesses who might rebut what other states' witnesses had said, and they had no ability to present mitigating evidence. Put differently, there was very limited due process in this process for those who might now be named as indictment-worthy in the final report. This is exactly what Mueller said. This is, this is it. This is exactly it. I can't name someone as indictment worthy. I can't say this person has committed these crimes without giving them due process of law. And they didn't get any due process of law in the special grand jury investigation because that's not what a special jury, special uh, purpose grand jury does. So they weren't wrong in not, you know, having cross-examinations and lawyers and witnesses and being able to present evidence uh, for the other side. That's not something that the special purpose grand jury is supposed to do. But because it's missing, you can't release a report saying, we find these people committed crimes without actually charging them with the crime. The charging of the crime is what kicks off the due process part, right? The trial, right? He says, That does not mean that the DA's investigative process was flawed or improper or in any way unconstitutional. By all appearances, the special purpose grand jury did its work by the book. The problem here in discussing public disclosure is that the book's rules do not allow for the objects of the district attorney's attention to be heard in the manner we require in a court of law. 
the consequences of these due process deficiencies is not that the special purpose grand jury's final report is forever suppressed or that its recommendations for or against indictment are in any way flawed or suspect. Rather, the consequence is that those recommendations are for the DA's eyes only. For now. Fundamental fairness requires this. As a report that may recommend, re, may recommend that criminal charges be sought against specific individuals, but which as, quote, drafted after a secret investigation and based on an uncertain standard of proof may be remembered long after, denials or objections from its targets are forgotten, and the report's readers may understandably but incorrectly assume that at least the rudiments of due process, notice and opportunity to be heard, were offered to the accused. That's Thompson v. Macon Bibb County from 1980. This is particularly true if the grand jury's final report includes recommendations involving individuals who never appeared before the grand jury and so had no opportunity, limited or not, to be heard. What he's saying there is if she puts out an indictment for Trump, Trump wasn't brought into the grand jury. So even though a special purpose grand jury doesn't have a bunch of due process rights, he didn't even get to go down there and have those very limited due process things like had none, zero. The, constitutional, the constitutionally protected due process rights of anyone who may be named in their final report also require this outcome. When identifiable individuals referred to in such reports are afforded, are afforded no statutory mechanism by which they may respond to the charges against them, serious questions of due process and fairness are raised. That's uh, in regarding presentments of Loudoun County Grand Jury. That's 1983, another Georgia grand jury, special purpose. A rare instance in which general presentment, a.k.a. the final report, that was highly critical of the performance of a public figure, but which was nonetheless allowed to be published, illustrates this point about due process. So there is one rare instance where this happened, but he says it illustrates the point. It doesn't argue it. Vernon Jones, in an earlier political incarnation, served as the CEO of DeKalb County from 2001 to 2009. A DeKalb County grand jury following its investigation into Jones's alleged misuse of county funds in demanding and apparently over-deploying a personal security detail issued a scathing report. So a special purpose grand jury issued a scathing report about Vernon Jones and his misconduct. Jones wanted to quash the report, contending the grand jury was acting ultra-virus when it criticized him. A trial judge sealed everything and sent the issue to the Court of Appeals, which ruled that the report could be published pursuant to 151280 because, quote, Jones had an opportunity to testify before the grand jury under oath, and those individuals that he would have called as witnesses also testified under subpoena. Therefore, any of his due process rights under Thompson v. Macon Bibb County Hospital from 1980 were satisfied. He got due process in that special purpose grand jury. That's why they published that report. In other words, the judge says, the Court of Appeals determined that in that unique scenario, Jones, who testified and who had all the witnesses he would have called presenting his side of the security detail story testify as well, enjoyed sufficient due process for the report to be published. Here, however, for anyone named in the special purpose grand jury's final report who was not afforded the opportunity to appear before the grand jury, none of those due process rights has been satisfied. And for those who did appear, willingly or not, only the right to be heard, although without counsel or rebuttal, was protected. Given that, the court finds that the full disclosure of the final report at this time is not proper under Thompson, Kelly, and their progeny. 
this kind of says to me that they're recommending an indictment of Donald Trump because he didn't even get a chance to appear before the grand jury. Zero due process. I don't know. I'm just guessing. And he brings that up. He says, for anyone named in this special purpose grand jury's final report who was not afforded the opportunity to appear before the grand jury, none of those due process rights has been satisfied. Who didn't appear before the grand jury? (laughs) Really just one guy. There are, however, the judge says, three parts of the final report that are ripe for publication. They do not implicate the concerns raised in Thompson and Kelly. And while publication may not be convenient for the pacing of the district attorney's investigation, the compelling public interest in these proceedings and the unquestionable value and importance of transparency require their release. So people are saying they aren't sure why he decided to release these three things. He actually spells it out here in this ruling. Compelling public interest and unquestionable value and importance of transparency. These three portions include the introduction and conclusion to the final report, as well as Section 8, in which the special purpose grand jury discusses its concerns that some witnesses may have lied under oath during their testimony to the grand jury. Because the grand jury does not identify those witnesses, that conclusion may be publicly disclosed at this time. Therefore, consistent with special purpose grand jury's recommendation made pursuant to 151280, that its final report be published, those three portions of the report will be placed in the docket for this matter on 16 February 2023. That's tomorrow. The several-day delay will allow the DA's team to meet with the undersigned, the judge, if necessary, to discuss logistics of publication and to determine if any portion of those three parts of the final report should be redacted for other reasons notice of which will be provided in the 16 February 2023 docket entry. Finally, the court directs the DA's office to provide periodic updates on the progress of its investigation so the court can reassess if other parts of the special purpose grand jury's final report can be properly disclosed, consistent with the analysis set forth above. So ordered this 13th day of February, Judge Robert McBurney. So, as you can see, no due process, no report. Just like I said, feel good. I'm high-fiving myself today. And Fonnie Willis is very, very glad and agrees with Judge McBurney's order and will not appeal Judge McBurney's order. We have been on imminence watch for indictments from Fonnie Willis uh, for three weeks now, since January 24th. Three weeks was Tuesday, yesterday, as you're listening to this. February 14th, Valentine's Day, was three weeks. Now, I, I said, people were like, oh, imminent, when's that? I, I said, hey, in government speak, imminent's about three weeks. Uh, we'll wrap up soon as by the end of the year. And um, we're almost done is, is like four to six months from now. So I might have reversed those last two. Anyway, it's longer than we think. It's longer than we, like imminent to us now in this day and age means imme- like two seconds. But... Three weeks was my guess, and it will be three weeks when this, by the time this episode drops, so who knows what will happen. And uh, I'm also interested to see what comes out in that February 16th release, which I'll go over this weekend on the bonus episode for everybody. Very cool. All right, with that, I would like to read the remaining new patrons. Again, thank you for your patronage. Thank you for coming back. Pete Strzok will be here with me next week. I'm very excited about that. And 
thank you uh, so much to Andrew Burson, Sam Cohn, Jerry Brightbill, Daniel Herrera, Dalton Cock, Brant Casey, Conrad Most, Brenton Brooker, Chili Sunrise, N- uh, Nixophile, Jason G, Blue Gemini, Wowbagger, the Infinitely Prolonged, <laughs> Tom Jackson, L. Deb, Diana Whitlock, Sandy Dobbins, Peter Jones, Chris Cruz, Jen Saran, Elizabeth McIntyre, Rob M., Chris from Nanup, Western Australia. Welcome, Chris. And beyond disappointment. I feel you. Thank you very much, everybody. I'll be back next week, and I'll probably see you this weekend on a little bonus update for when this report does come out. And we can see what it says. Until then, I will talk to you next week with Pete Strzok. I'm very excited. This has been Clean Up on All 45. Clean Up on All 45 is written, researched, and produced by Allison Gill with editing by Molly Hockey. Our art and logo designer by Joelle Reeder and Moxie Design Studios, and our music is composed and performed by Adam Orr. Clean Up on Aisle 45 is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. Season 4 of How We Win is here. For the past four years, we've been making history in critical elections all over the country. And last year, we made history again by expanding our majority in the Senate, beating election-denying Republicans in crucial state house races, and fighting back a non-existent red wave. But the MAGA Republicans who plotted and pardoned the attempted overthrow of our government now control the House, thanks to gerrymandered maps and repressive anti-voter laws. And the chaotic spectacle we've already seen shows us just how far they will go to seize power, dismantle our government, and take away our freedoms. So the official podcast of The Persistence is back with season four. There's so much more important work ahead of us to fight for equity, justice, and our very democracy itself. We'll take you behind the lines and inside the rooms where it happens with strategy and inspiration from progressive changemakers all over the country. And we'll dig deep into the weekly news that matters most and what you can do about it with messaging and communications expert, co-founder of Way to Win, and our new co-host, Jennifer Fernandez-Ancona. So join Steve and I every Wednesday for your weekly dose of inspiration, action, and hope. I'm Steve Pearson. And I'm Jennifer Fernandez-Ancona. And And this this is is How We Win. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, Welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler, 
How much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary. They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in an Armani suit standing in the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.